0: You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Aloha. Aloha. Good morning. Welcome to uh, this place and time that God has appointed. That's one thing that I can be absolutely certain is that um, you are here according to God's will and God's plan. And he has a word for you today. If you are expecting Pastor John, you are deeply disappointed. (laughs) Because this is not Pastor John. I can't take his place. Nobody can take Pastor John's place. But I am substituting for him. And if I met you last week, my name is Carl Gaelic. And uh, I am officially retired. And when John heard that, he went, what? And uh, so he's kind of pulled me from that. But it's my pleasure to uh, join in the mission that God has given to Thrive and the opportunity that we have to serve together. Uh, we welcome all of our online folks to too, and uh, once again, uh, if you're watching Pastor John, hit the red button, go away. I can't get away with anything. Take a break, have a vacation, attend St. Lawrence. I heard there's a really big church up in Michigan out there. Thanks be to God for the opportunity to give him a break and uh, do that. And. Uh, so that you can plan your outing one more time. You to give them one more Sunday off here in July, and then we'll come opportunity. So this is what we're doing. I noticed that we're sort of a divided congregation uh, this morning. Uh, We have some who have been loyal to the Kapona Aloha uh, and the understanding of the deep love of God and are celebrating with uh, Hawaiian shirts. And uh, I think you are my favorite people. Then we have those who are going to go, get the civic sort of minded and celebrate, as James said, the freedom that we have uh, as a country and as a nation. And despite whatever political leanings you have, we are in the nation together. And you celebrated that. And thank you for recognizing and celebrating that and that opportunity. We'll pray for our country and for the freedoms we have here later today, um, doing that. So you're good. Some of you decided, I couldn't figure out which way to go, so you didn't do either, where some did both, and so there's a third category that would be too much to get into, and you know that. So having said that, uh, doing that, we're into Kapona Aloha, I love the theme. Uh, Pastor John said, uh, we have a liturgical garb plan for the summer, um, and uh, it's from Goodwill, it's my favorite Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> i love the thought kapon aloha is from first john we're looking at the first letter of first john and uh, it is a weaving it is a basket weaving of grace and of uh, the power of love and the way in which god loves and the effect it has on us uh, last week uh, kapon aloha uh, i took the reins and talked about the nature of how personal uh, God's love is and uh, how personal it is so to kind of get that is there's a natural reflex that you and I have to kind of create distance with people even with God's truth and God's love uh, one of the interesting kind of phenomena is that is part of the human uh, nature is that our deepest need is to be known and our deepest fear is to be known. To be known. <laughs> So there's this constant struggle going on inside of our spirits and our minds uh, because that's always the case. It's always present. And so we have a God who wants to know us and wants to be known by us. So we took a look, a little bit of a summary. We took a look at the nature of John himself as a, as a person, and it was called the beloved disciple. Uh, it's a phrase that I just can't get used to, but, but translate today into perhaps Jesus BFF. Best friend forever, which would be arguably us as well. But nonetheless, all that being said, John was in the inner circle, and in the inner circle of the inner circle uh, was present during Jesus' incredible times, and was present at the cross, and watched his, took care of his mom afterwards, and was in the upper room together. And and uh, what we can attain from history is that John was probably the youngest disciple to follow Jesus, and we can also figure out is that he was also the uh, the oldest disciple to live. So he's writing everything from the perspective of an elderly person who's been there, done that. He's read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And he writes the Gospel of John, which is not chronological at all. It's organized thematically around blessings and miracles. And he's written the first John. Now he's probably in between 75 and 90 years old uh, when he's writing these letters. So he's doing a lot of reflecting and a lot of integrating. And John does not write in a linear fashion, but he weaves everything together in circles and interconnecting lines so that it all kind of this fits to that and that fits to this and figures it all together. So we did some examples last week. That's what I want you to leave you with, which we're going to pick up, is that the nature of God's love is Personal. We used the book that I uh, held up here from C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, which isn't about divorce at all. In the regular sense of the words, it's a response to the poet Milton, who wrote something called The Great Marriage about that, that heaven and hell are really one place and we all go to the same place when we die, and C.S. Lewis said, I don't think so, <laughs> and wrote a whole book on this is a beautiful little fantasy about that journey. And everybody had to give up a piece or a part or themselves in order to move forward. And a part of the the me that I thought was most interesting in the book, but I just barely touched on, was uh, this fantasy journey that C.S. Lewis creates. A mom has to want to see God first before her son, who died young in doing that. You can see that kind of. Uh, struggle going on in that phenomenon. So that being said, that's that's the nature of it and that what God is after is a personal relationship. It's not so much like who does the world and our country today think Jesus is, right? You can get an, an incredible spectrum of beliefs about what that is. That's less what I'm concerned about. But what do you think, Jesus? Who do you think he is? Who is he to you? And, and John would then really add after that, not only who is he to you, but how does that manifest itself? How does it show up? If you're timing the sermon, that was all prelude. So we didn't really get started right now. So go ahead and hit it. So yeah, so we're going on like that. Can we talk personally about anointing away your impulses? That was the title last week. Can we talk? I used the old Joan Rivers. Can we talk? Uh, to kind of go on about the nature of personal. And today it's about, can we talk about anointing away your impulses. Here's a rhetorical question. Please don't answer or raise your hand. Uh, Do you have impulses? (laughs) And of course I know that's rhetorical because I do, but I also know that's rhetorical because as a pastor, and I'm also trained as a marriage and family therapist, I've ministered to people my entire 38 years that have impulses. And then I read biblically, theologically, psychologically, Theologically, impulses are all over the place. I remember a few Latin phrases from my seminary days. I don't know why many of our textbooks had Latin phrases. I don't know why, but uh, I would always have to look them up. Well, this one I remember because it stuck with me, and it's always very true. In curvate se. Doesn't that sound cool? I do. Just to show you that I I got my MDiv, and I actually graduated from seminary. I remember this Latin phrase, incurvate se. It's what sin does. Sin curves us inward. Sin curves us inward. And if you take a look at the sense of incurvate se and the nature of sin, you find that that's what it always does, like without exception. It's incurvate se, the curvature inward is how I live my life and the struggle of my life and the struggle within my life is in in cravatese. It's from what I have to be rescued. Because I can't escape my own perspective. And yet God says, Carl, your perspective is going to kill you. So, I'm going to rescue you from you. Not just from the world, not just from sin, death, and devil. Carl's going to, got, got to get rescued from Carl. Because here, impulses come from within you. They are automatic and autonomic. And they're going to kill you. So, this is the kind of issue we're dealing with here. So, love is not only personal, this capona. this. Kapona aloha, this big love. It's not only incredibly intensely personal, it pushes past all of our barriers of not wanting to be known, of being afraid of being known, of being hurt by being known. Or It's kind of funny when we try to hide from God, like Noah. I love the story of Noah, running the opposite way. Really? And yet you and I practice the same kind of thing, where we hide from those who we love most. We hide from God, and like Adam and Eve in the garden. God going, where are you? Like he didn't know, but he needed them to know he didn't well, it's a in Luxor. Can we talk today personally about anointing? So the key is going to be an understanding of the nature of impulses and how God addresses those impulses, which will kill us. And how do we do that? By anointing. Now, anointing is uh, not of common phenomena. How many of you got anointed this morning? Not, well, you probably did, but we're going to see how that works out. So there's where we're going. It's still personal. Can, you, can we talk personally about anointing away your impulses? So because you are stuck with a substitute pastor who is stuck with his own impulses, and because I cannot escape my own perspective, we're going to have to ask the Spirit to intervene. Otherwise, what you can get is a sermon from an about and by and for Carl Gaelic, which is, (coughs) I want you to walk out of here today with an understanding that it is the spirit of God that's moving you. So let's pray to that same spirit and ask for his blessings. Father God, send your spirit into this place, into this room, into these hearts into my speech, into my opportunity, that uh, your will might be done, that we might escape the inkavate say the way in which we constantly fight against or follow our impulses, which rise instantly, automatically and autonomically. Grant that this letter from John give us insight and power to accomplish your will as you anoint us with your Holy Spirit. We thank you for it. Look forward to it. Need it desperately in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this is what the text is. Oh, John writes Remember, John's an old man now, and he's reflecting back. Do not love the world or the things in the world. That's going to be a focus. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is, is not in him, they can't coexist. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away with its desires slash impulses. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, that's a term of affection we talked about last week. Children, it is the last hour. As you have heard, the the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. John loves the turn of the phrase, doesn't he? i got to read that again just to make sure I got it. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Huh? Okay. But they went out, that it might be complained, they are not all uh, complained that they all are not of us. Boy, be careful reading that. But you have been okay. Here it is. But you have been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. It's like this kind of, he could be talking to us. Because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is key. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he defines it. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us: eternal life. See, if I could get out of my impulses into the, out of this Kravate say, seeing things from Carl's perspective, the gift. The benefit, the joy, the delight, oh, just eternal life. <laughs> it's big. It's big. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. It comes from the outside. It's supernatural. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. First John 2:15 to 29. That's the text that John gave to me. But he also gave me some limitations. I got to fit this all inside of a sermon, so we're going to slice and dice it and not talk about most of what you heard because it's like, oh my goodness. We'd have to send out for lunch, come back, work on it again. I'd have to find a chance this afternoon to take a nap and then do it again and be remembered. So, a lot there, so we're going to basically get focused on all right, what are these impulses that are killing me? How is that happening? Where is that coming from? How does that work? Most importantly, The impulses we can kind of sense ourselves. Let's talk about the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Almost sounds like other denominations, doesn't it? The anointing of the Holy Spirit. I love it. So there's the key here. Do not agape the world. It's important that you and I both understand this word, and I'm sure your pastor, John, has gone over this on occasion. The word that John uses here for love is this word agape. Agape. Now there are three general words. This is probably by way of review, for love that are used in the New Testament, and they're eros, philia, and agape. Now, eros you can hear the word erotic, and it's an eros. And eros includes sexual or the erotic, but it's far more than that. It's about the kind of love that we consume stuff, and it's certainly true of sexuality. The eros love that we have. And it's not a bad thing, it's just when it controls your life, might be graphed like this. It goes up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. We have needs that our Eros love, and then we satisfy them and they go away. Beyond sexuality, think of my Eros for Aurelio's Pizza. <laughs> Can I say that here? Aurelio's Pizza, says, which broke my heart. I found out the one in the Gulf Coast Center shut down. And uh, I'm still in counseling about that. Uh, <laughs> but the one in Naples is still open, so we're gonna, we're gonna be okay. Aurelio's Pizza is from Chicago. I'm from Chicago, and so it's gotten my fit. The sauce is marvelous, the thin crust, the lots of sausage, drinking a Lutheran beverage. <laughs> oh, I just love Aurelio's Pizza. So I bring to Aurelio's an Eros. I do. And they say, get this man a pizza quickly. And I eat the pizza. And I usually eat a little, OK, all right, my wife's sitting in front row, I got, I got like, a lot too much. And what goes away? My eros of aurelios. <laughs> I'm done. That's the nature of eros. That comes, it's not a bad thing, OK? It's just not. Not thing, thing. We get it. Phileo, you know that one, too. It's brotherly love. It's reciprocating love. And f- reciprocating love is not a bad thing. Once again, it's a good thing. It's friendships. It's one ba- one to another. We were just talking about that, the different communities of which we've been a part of. We always share some friends that we stay with us for a long time, maybe forever. Um, but others fade away, and you relationships need reciprocity. So phileo needs reciprocity, give and take, conversation, investment, mutual concern. And when that begins to fade and the emails start to slow down and the phone calls tend to go away, so does that relationship. So that love doesn't have the same up and down curve as arrows, but it does flow. It, does, it needs reciprocation. Not a bad thing, except it's just not the thing. Now we've gotten to agape, which is the point. Do not agape the world. Now, <clears throat> before I retire, I've been 38 years in the ministry. And, and one of my greatest shortf- shortcomings and greatest shortfalls is trying to find the depth of meaning and the incredible power that is present in agape. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to convey it. It is so magnanimous, so huge, so incredible. John ends his gospel lesson. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. John ends his gospel by saying, and should all the things that Jesus has done be written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain it. I used to think that that was John's hyperbole. It ain't. <laughs> it is not his hyperbole. It is the truth, my dear Christian friends, because the nature of love that comes from God, this agape, can't be contained in the world it can't be contained in the universe which is an expression of that love it really can't it was brought out to me again many of you I, I mentioned I flew out very quickly to uh, California this week to help my daughter uh, Carla move from this home to that home and uh, to occupy myself on the what was it 44 hours of plane rides and took together uh, I was reading um, "Imagine Heaven." Anybody ever heard this book? "Imagine Heaven." It is a study of the biblical nature of heaven that is integrated in with the near-death experiences of thousands of people and the commonalities in the denominators of that. One of those commonalities in the denominators of people who have, in surgery, had near-death experiences where their bodies stopped working or died or in a crash or an accident or a surgery or one of those things. One of the common denominators of that is that they experienced a love so profound that they didn't have the words to express it when they got back. I put my hands together in the airplane. I'm vindicated. (laughs) People who have apparently or conceivably experience that love, can't talk about it. It's so incredible. And yet there there was. And one of the common denominators, according to this book, Imagine Heaven, is that when people have gotten there and experienced this kind of love, they don't want to go back. People who have left children behind and loved ones behind said, no, I want to stay. Because that love is attractive and embracing and powerful and creative and delightful and immense. And the reason why I spent some time on this and this whole phenomenon and the different kinds of love and all that is because agape love comes from God and, and is supernatural. I, I can't generate it. It's unconditional. It creates. And it's agape love that created the universe, God said. I mean, why Why would he, we'll cover this again a little bit more next week, why would he create the universe? What's the reason behind it? You know why? Love. Really. He would create the universe knowing that he would fall love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... When I get that agape love, it comes not from me, because in me, I got eros and Flail at best, and the say impulses at worst. What you got John saying here is that take this agape love, this powerful, creative, sacred, encompassing, embracing love, and you turn it to the world, it's like, remember this phrase from Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew? It's like taking your pearls and casting them before swine." Did you ever wonder what that meant? Do not agape the world is what he's saying here. Do not, ag- do not love the world. He's not saying, do not eros the world. Then we do away with Aurelio's pizza. Can't have that. Do not phileo the world. We've got to have friends and reciprocity. That works. No, he's saying, do not agape. That's the word. When you take agape love, the sacred love, and point it at the world and start investing it in the world, you start testing your opponent. Do not give dogs what is sacred enough. Throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and tear them down to pieces. I promise you I have watched this happen. Clinically, pastorally, familiarly, it's just everywhere. It is a phenomenon. This is what casting your pearls before swine looks like. Uh, you're thinking, oh, what are you talking about here, Rastakar? You're making me hungry. It looks pretty good. That's the brunch that we're going to be having afterwards. Is that not true? I don't think so. no, uh, I'm, no, I'm disappointed. It's food. And there's nothing wrong with arrows. I just went through this whole Aurelio story. And there's it, nothing wrong with having arrows for food. But when you start investing your life in food, you have problems. Why do you think that the best selling books continue to be books on diets, (laughs) nutrition? Because we all struggle with food to one element. Some of us don't eat enough of it. Others eat too much of it. OA has this phrase. Uh, Overeaters, Anonymous, uh, is this phrase, it's not what you're eating, it's what's eating you. So there's a phenomenon. This is what happens is that when we take agape love and point it at food, allow our impulses to control, what happens is that it eats us alive. People who have struggled with weight, people who are bulimic for everybody who in between has that understanding already. When you take agape, the precious, sacred, powerful, creative love of God, and give that full attention to that food with that kind of devotion, it'll eat you up. (laughs) Pun intended. Huh. So that's not going to work. So let's go to the next one. Oh, money, gold, Riches. Don't answer this again, but again, uh, inside of your own mind, is money a bad thing? The answer to that is no. For seven years, I served as a consultant for Lutheran Church Extension Fund and would say, please, it's not a bad thing. Money is a good thing. There's always been some form of exchange of money. It's not a bad thing. It's not money, which is the root of all evil. What is it? It is the love of money. When you take your agape. When you take the precious creative central focus and focus that on m- money, then it will eat you alive. And Maybe we've fallen into that trap. Maybe you know somebody who personally has. The constant incessant watching of the market the putting anything second to the pursuit of money. And the problem with this is that um, what does somebody who's got a lot of money want? Just a little more. (laughs) Mary Louise and I financially wrestled with this decision when it came time for considerations of retirement. And this question came up. How much is enough? How much is enough money to retire on? We did all the math. I just combed through the the last couple years of finances and did our budgets. It's not being irresponsible. It's not... Um, throwing up money into the air and say God can have what he wants, and I'll keep the rest. I mean, it's not, it's rather being careful. But we had to answer a question which wasn't financial. The question was spiritual. You know how much is enough? What we had, <laughs> what God had provided. But you see the trap there is that because if we have to fall into the trap of how much is enough to retire, When do you retire? How do you retire? How do you get enough? And what begins to happen is you sell your soul to the pursuit. And the impulse begins to eat you alive. Romantic love and relationship can be the same. Mine with Mary Louise, you with people that you love, whether those are friendships or intimate relationships, or those are marriages, same kind of phenomenon occurs. I was looking for a picture and an image that kind of gave us some sense of, well, it's not bad in and of itself, but what happens if I invest in Mary Louise, my beloved of 45. <laughs> <laughs> she threw up a five. She, uh, I, can't, I can't lie and cheat in front of everybody. 45 years, what happens if I put her first and all my faith and trust in her rather than in God it looks like it sounds romantic and like she's my all-in-all all, you know and it's a great Hallmark card it's wonderful and sounding on Mother's Day but then when she passes she dies she falls she fails what happens to me if I fall with her I place my trust outside of it so you see even even Intimacy, even relationships, my impulse to turn toward Mary Louise and to give her love. Even that can be an incorvate-se. Marriage and family therapists talk about the wall. The wall is typically what happens. People who get married, uh, young folks are likened to do and are in love, and love feels so good. And about 18 months later, it's, it's, it's an average. And uh, this is old data, so I haven't looked at this for, I don't know, a decade or more. So given that old data, at about 18 months, all of a sudden, they're in the counselor's office because love doesn't feel so good. There's no automatics toward one another. It takes work and effort. And she's driving me crazy. I know you've never said that. <laughs> But if Mary Louise isn't listening, I've said that about her. I know that she's never said that about me. See, the point of that is that all of a sudden, now when love takes effort, work, sacrifice, strength, investment, it begins to fade away. And actually, it's what happened when real love begins. I'm going to get ahead of myself a little bit. So even intimacy and those kind of relationships do that. Power. Of, is power of this power bad thing like money no what did jesus tell the disciples he says wait here until i send power from on high i love the greek word for the power on high dunamos, dynamite god expects you to have some dynamic activity in your life and to exercise your power only problem is if you're exercising that power that you have, the influence that you have, the opportunity that you have to lead, to follow, together, to run, to, to be strong, and use it for yourself, in cravate say if that's your impulse to do it, so I can get you to do what I want, well, the whole thing blows up, and we've done, been there, done that, haven't we? And yet, when we focus agape on power, it becomes all about me and how I can bend you. These are all the impulses that are present. This is kind of the last one. The, the, the way this all copied it was frustrating me everywhere, where I started to run into technical issues. So I said, I'll explain it. Uh, it's, it's the instant gratification run. Zero miles. You show up and you get a t-shirt. <laughs> so this is the. Uh, that, that's, essentially, that's the, the, the final sort of uh, synopsis or uh, capture of incravate, Say, is that it's about instant gratification in doing that. If I can tell a story on my grandson uh, I, who I was there, he, he sat down at the table before everybody else did, and he started to eat. And you know, I, we're going to wait for everybody. <clears throat> he gives me that wide-eyed look. <clears throat> So this is a lesson in delayed gratification. He didn't want any delayed gratification. (laughs) He wanted instant gratification. Why? Because he wanted a t-shirt without running. But isn't that specific to him? That's the nature of humanity. I'd like it, and I'd like it. No. In Kravata's say impulses. Any one of them, by themselves, will give us trouble and kill us. We struggle with all of them at some time or another, don't we? What do we do with all that? Finally, let's get to that news. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught you, remain in Him. So anointing. I'll go back one more. The word anointing comes from the uh, Hebrew, essentially, has its most profound Hebrew roots in the anointing of royalty. It's a dry desert climate. It just came back from California, and so if. You're out there, you've been in desert climates before. Unlike the humidity of Florida, it's like 0% humidity. So it feels good to put lotion on. It feels good to kind of make your face smooth and moist again, You're kind of fighting against that. So that was the climate in which people existed. So to have rare oils was a sign of special treatment. And so anointing was done to say, this guy right here, he's going to be the king. He's going to be the tribal leader. He's going to be the boss. He's going to be the one in charge. And anointing would run down Aaron's beard, to talk about it. So you mix it into the hair and the face. And Does away with the dryness. and feels so good. It had evidences of royalty evidence evidences of being unique and special and now John captures that and says it also means what the spirit does the spirit comes and just grows beautiful wonderful oil through your hair and skin and arms that feel good if you've ever been to a massage therapist and they oil up their hands start working it into your shoulders and you, oh That's essentially the nature of this anointing. That's the root word of it. That's the sense that we're having this anointing. You can get a massage therapist, and the, the spirit isn't calling himself the massage therapist. So let's be clear. But that's all background and depth of the word, what the spirit does. He comes to us and rubs away and anoints and deeply penetrates our spirits, because that's where the impulse lies that will kill us. You receive it. You get it. The key confession of Jesus Christ, what he's saying here is that it interconnects and integrates the Trinity. Listen, when you get anointed, whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is the wisdom of John who's sitting back going, look, if you will recognize and be anointed and allow the Spirit to massage your spirit so that you're deeply penetrated with my truth and it, just gets all through your body and spirit and mind and heart, you will be able to say, ah, Jesus is the Christ. And by saying that, you're acknowledging the existence of the Father. So what we've got there in very, very sneaky ways is John illustrating the interrelationship and interconnectedness of the Trinity. By confessing Jesus as Christ, you're confessing the entire Trinity. Never says the word Trinity, which isn't mentioned in the Bible at all. Never tries to get into those complicated things that he does in John 17 in the high priestly prayer. He simply says, this is what you do. When you get anointed, when the Spirit comes to you, when you are what we would know to be baptized in him, that's the phenomena that occurs. It interconnects and integrates history with today. See to it that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. What's delightful for me to see and to talk to is pastors like John, who is younger than me, and pastors that are even younger than Pastor John, who's, by the way, not so young anymore, but that's another story. <laughs> is that they learn they have the same fervor and teaching and faith and commitment that I did, that becomes interconnected when the confession that Jesus is the Christ becomes woven into their world when we get anointed. That confession is what comes from the outside to the inside and changes us from there and connects us to those in history who have believed as well. It interconnects and integrates this life with eternal life. This is what he has promised, eternal life. The book, reading uh, reading the book Imagine Heaven, I'm not done with it. I'll probably report next week on how far I've gotten, but the phenomena that is interesting, and I don't buy all of it, it's interesting to kind of sort through it, but the phenomena that's interesting is that eternity is, according to the book, Imagine Heaven, and according to the biblical truths, just around the corner. It's not way far away, it's like right here, and listen to the story. Those of you who are, uh, who do believe in Jesus Christ, are already saved. It's the pluperfect tense that John uses in the Gospel of John, chapter three. You are already saved. It has already happened. I love the pluperfect tense because it speaks of the speaks of the future as though it's occurred in the past. You ever said somebody I said, Would you do me a favor? Would you move that table over there? And he goes, As good as done. That's the pluperfect tense. Eternity and its promises of God are already done. Eternity is Wrapped up. It is a phenomenon. It has already happened. Our salvation, our assurance, our transfer to eternity has happened In the funniest time sequence, the reason why it's so strange is that there is no time in eternity. So when you use references of time, it just gets really very confusing. It's already happened. It's already begun. You are already saved. God's anointing does that so that our impulses lose power and control over us. It all comes down to this again. This is what happened. This point in history, this crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, is the turning point, the incorrect to say, that lifts this veil that turns my impulses outward once again to the mission and to the glory of God. The resurrection or the crucifixion paid the price. The resurrection is the assurance that price has been paid the anointing that's there. So my life doesn't have to be wondering which impulse will grab or tag me next. My life instead is a recognition of the anointing. That's why we're going to have communion. Because I can't get agape, love, on my own. It has to come to me. I have to be baptized into Christ, anointed with him, feel that strength and that power, work its way through my spiritual muscles, my life and world. And in so doing, by communion with bread and wine, body and blood of Christ, by being together as one, by listening to his word, by being strengthened in his grace, impulses fade and die, and we become strengthened in agape. Such is the nature of kipona, aloha. It takes all the inkravate say impulses that will kill us, washes them away, and strengthens us with grace. In Jesus' name.